Well, good morning, everyone. And Lydia, thank you for those compliments. I'm sad I didn't rock the leopard print today. You know, emails from the Shade household, they really are fairly routine because Maggie and I both serve on RISE, which is the regional coalition against sexual exploitation here in our community. And so we're often exchanging information about trainings or about specific meetings or about cases that law enforcement has called us in to work on. But I'll have to say that my curiosity was certainly piqued a couple months ago when a message popped up from Isaac further opening that message, I decided that maybe his email had hit the wrong inbox. An invitation had been given to preach a sermon on sex at OCC, my old alma mater. No way. I'm a nurse and I'm much more comfortable behind a speculum or an ultrasound probe than I am a microphone. But I read on. Well, as I read on, I see that I would really literally be wedged between world-class communicators, Michael DeFazio and Randy and Julie Garris. And I'm thinking, absolutely no way. (laughs) Well, my ever-encouraging husband of 38 years, he was just very, thank you. He was very calmly optimistic. And he said, sweetie, you've got this. He said, they've given you the theology bumper rails on either side. All you have to do is show up, bowl down the middle. You do this every day. They'll catch any gutter balls, and they'll make sure to keep it all rated PG-13. Well, here I am. And I would have to say that growing up as a kid in Africa, I never even went into a bowling alley until later in my teens. But seriously... It is an honor to have been asked, even though it is honestly a terrifying task. But I'm just going to ask that you all would have a very merciful filter as you listen today, because this is a far cry from my day job. I think as global Christians, no matter what the country or the culture, we have the amazing privilege of sharing the good news of Christ to so many pre-followers. And for me, that has been in a hut in Africa, but it's also been in an exotic dance club right here in the USA. You know, I think we are given such a creative latitude to be able to encounter pre-followers and to infuse the good news of Christ into their spaces. I love the passage from Galatians 6.2 that paraphrased, it challenges us to live creatively and to save critical comments for ourselves. But we're told to stoop down, to reach out to those who are oppressed, to share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. I happen to believe that there is no greater mission field than right here in our Western world that is ready for light because the sexual crisis is being won by sin. You know, sadly, there's not one single one of us in this room that is not one choice away from falling victim to sexual sin that sometimes is disguised so cunningly that it is dressed to kill If we don't, or we won't choose to live in complete followership 
to our Savior. You know, I love what Shane Wood said a couple weeks ago when he said we're to show up, but we're not to stay where we are, to come as we are, but don't stay as we are. Before we dive in any further today, I just want to say a few words to those of you that may be survivors right here in our midst. You know, survivors of victimization that happens when sex is perverted and a small child is desperately betrayed by the horrific sin of a trusted adult or young women who have given their heart away and then given that requested photo only to be exploited by someone that they trusted. Or that young man who trusted a youth worker and then was threatened if anyone found out about their secret. Or perhaps the victims that were there seeing their father repeatedly rape their mother or a mother who would choose to constantly emasculate her partner with verbal abuse. I'm so sorry for the horrific horrors of humanity that would take that injury and then those that would further be victimized with insult added to that injury and asking, well, why didn't you walk away? Well, why didn't you speak up? You know, I think I would have to say, did these accusers, did they not in fact see that you paid the ultimate price of taking on that painful abuse so that a younger sister or brother or maybe even a mother would not be that next sexual target? That you felt maybe you had to shield the perfect family so that ministry wouldn't suffer? Or maybe you did speak out as a child but no one believed you. An FBI child interrogator that I've come to really deeply respect, she shared a comment that will forever stay with me. She said, just because a victim is compliant in their victimization, it doesn't make them any less of a victim. The consequences of sex that is misused and abused, they're devastating. May we never forget the survivors who have to live with those painful reminders every day. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you that you are a God who sees all, who knows all, that you welcomely bring us into your family, that you forgive us of whatever our past may have held, and you give us that redeeming love that just puts us on a path to complete freedom in you. Father, let the words that you want spoken today be spoken through me. And we just ask all of this in your name, Lord. Amen. A few years ago, my husband and I, we attended a conference down in Dallas, and one of the breakout sessions was an incredible challenge by the president of King's College from downtown New York City. You know, he cut no slack on the audience in that room that day, and he shared what an incredible privilege it is to be given the opportunity to shine the light of the gospel. In fact, he shared that the darker the culture or the darker the seasons, in fact, the greater the opportunity of even a single strike of a match 
to be lit and that flicker to be seen from miles and miles. Now he went on to recount the story in Numbers 21, 4 through 8 about the Israelites and how they had gone on this tirade of complaining, saying that they'd been brought to the desert to die, that they didn't have enough food, they didn't have water, and they just hated that horrible manna. Well, these were the very provisions that God had so graciously given to them just the first go-round with all of their grumbling. And so God, in his frustration, he decided to let them have it this time. And he sent a whole slew of poisonous snakes to go throughout the camp. Well, the result was that men, women, and children all died. Well, pretty quickly... They came to their senses, and they rushed to Moses, and they repented. Well, Moses interceded on their behalf, and after a conversation with the Lord, God told Moses to make a replica of a snake, to attach it to a pole, to hoist that pole up high so that anyone in the camp could look up, see that snake, and that they would be healed. You know, I think God knew that from as far back as the Garden of Eden, the snake was a powerful cultural symbol. He knew that his people had truly lost touch with his leadership. And so it was going to take a relevant symbol that would catch their attention and once again cause them to fix their eyes on him. Now we know that it was not the bronze snake on a pole that healed the Israelites, but it was the power of God. The snake was just a symbol that forced them to look up and to come face to face with him. At the workshop that day, each leader was challenged with this question. They were asked, what is your snake on a pole? Identify the symbol in your culture that you can elevate that will engage pre-followers in your sphere to be able to look up and to behold the king of kings and to find that ultimate healing. Well, I nudged my husband who was sitting next to me and I whispered, hey, sex on a pole. Well, his eyebrows went up and I said, no, silly. I'm really a meaning. I said, life choices. This is what we do every single day. Sex on a pole, it's our invitation to those who are lost in the confusion of sexual chaos. We invite them to come through our clinic doors and to get the professional medical health services that really are so needed during that crisis intervention. We have this window of opportunity to be able to draw them into the healing arms of our Savior. You know, no one expects to walk into a clinic, to go into an exam room, and to meet Jesus. Well, later that week when we got back to the clinic, I unpacked this conversation further with Dr. Roberts, who's my medical director, and he reminded me that the symbol of medicine is, in fact, a snake wrapped around a pole. And it's called the rod of a syphilis. Not a syphilis, a cliffosis. He said in ancient Greece, tells you my day job. In ancient Greek mythology, you know, it said that God, or it, it was shown that this rod was supposedly supposed to be a healer. 
as the people would come into the Greek temples thinking that they could get healing, there were these non-venomous snakes that would slither around as they were laying on the ground. But they believed in the power of the staff because of the ancient Greek mythology that had led them to believe in this particular god. Well, I think this whole crossroad conversation, it was just to be a small foreshadowing of just exactly how far God was choosing to nudge our team from our holy huddles and to be able to go into the far dark corners of our very own community, to literally take us into those places where sex on a pole is a nightly occurrence, and yet to realize that even the smallest ray of light can shine a way to safety for a victim of sexual exploitation. God offers that opportunity to face head-on a world that is turned away from his wisdom and knowing the ultimate design of sex, a divine window of time to reach out to the least of these in our community and to gently whisper the gospel to a lost world. Not too long after going to some of these sex industry establishments on a weekly basis, one of the bouncers stopped our team as we were leaving, and he wanted to know why we couldn't come more often. This is what he said. He said, you know, it's just always a better night after you ladies have come in. The girls here are just a lot less bitchy. He then went on to say... So as I got into my car that night, and my husband, who's one of the prayerful warriors that stays and provides security over us, I said, who would have thought that a byproduct of striking a match in the darkness would be making the world just a little less bitchy? Well, for the last 16 years, I've served as a nurse in the mission field of sexual crisis at Life Choices. And daily, I see the consequences that happen from ignoring God's wisdom and the suffering that comes from a sexually broken culture. You know, confronting a world that is in such sexual disarray, it's not about slut shaming. And I have to say that that's a distorted theology that never once was modeled by our Lord. Furthermore, we can't think that we can impose our moral compass on a world that doesn't understand that sexual pleasure outside of God's design will lead to deadly consequences. But neither can we ignore nor run from the seedy, the forgotten, the scary parts of the world. And instead, we have an obligation to run to them with a prayer army of warriors and with the king of kings on our side. We take into the culture that which the culture is fixated on and we use it as an opportunity to introduce the brokenhearted to the one and the only one who can fix them. He who was raised up, not on a pole, but on the cross. Missionary to Africa, C.T. Studd, he said, some want to be, some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. 
You know, I've often said that I think it took 20 years of living with my husband in Africa and serving as a missionary there to prepare me for the mission field that is right here in my very own backyard. I work with an incredible team of compassionate and caring sex missionaries who daily bear the weight of deep pain revealed when sex has gone so, so wrong. But as painful as all of those symptoms are, it's really the underlying diagnosis that's the real issue. It's the systemic cycle of broken intimacy with God and his love that ultimately is that root cancer. You know, our team, as members of God's family, we choose to bring light into their circles, not merely drag them into the sometimes blinding light of our own circles. You know, first priority is to invite them to genuine friendship. And then secondly, to be able to introduce them to Jesus, who will step into their circle. And last, and sometimes much much later, we end up knowing that what we have to do, whoa, and I assure you that is not me, that is not a symbol, (laughs) but we have this opportunity to be able to understand that that lack of intimacy with God is actually the root cancer. But guys, today, I just would pose for your consideration that one of the greatest barriers that our team faces when we are inviting a world to consider community with us is the very internal sins that we think we can hide in our pews, hide in our pockets on our devices, be put away on our computers, or the things that we would do in dark corners. You know, months and months after establishing a relationship with a young single woman who works in the sex industry, I finally felt that I had invested enough relational hours to feel comfortable to invite her to go to church with me. She looked at me with a genuine heart of confusion, and she just said, Carolyn, she said, I couldn't do that. That would be wrong to make me have others lust after me for seven days and then to show up in their churches and to sit next to them in their pews, that would just make them feel uncomfortable. I can't do that. She couldn't show up in their churches on Sunday morning because she knew it would make them feel uncomfortable. Her reality, it pierced my heart. Harry Schomburg is a well-known author, and he's a counselor of many ministers and many individuals who work in full-time Christian ministry. And he wrote these words. He said, in thousands of cases that I have counseled, only 1% of those who have come, come to us voluntarily and preemptively. He said 99% were caught. And he said, getting caught in sexual sin, it doesn't change the heart. Proverbs 6, you know, it has some strong words of wise counsel. It warns us to beware of seductive talk, not to lustfully fantasize on outer beauty. It straight up says, you buy an hour with a whore or be eaten alive by a sexually wanton woman, 
I have to tell you, I love the paraphrase that one author gives to that last question in that section of those verses. It says, can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? Well, Harry Schromberg, he goes on to say, the cross isn't a recovery program. It is a place to die. It's not a question of giving up sexual sin, but of giving up one's rights. You know, James 1, 13 through 15, it says temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What an interesting scripture. And so applicable to the underbelly of sex when it has been distorted and it's been impregnated by sin. You know, sex and its delight, it appeals to every one of God's given senses. It's emotional, it's physical, and it's spiritual. You know, when someone says sex, the room gets quiet and everybody's ears perk up. When those ads come on that have scattily dressed women or bare-chested men, it's hard for eyes to avert. When someone is touched in a sexual manner, physiologically, we respond. Sex, it's attention-getting. It's incredibly powerful and handled outside of God's intended purpose. It is dangerous. You know, James Owen, or John Owen, he shared a very apropos thought. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. A few Sundays ago, Cy Huffer shared in his morning sermon that God is not about pampering us, nor is he about working to make us feel comfortable. And how true that is, even in the realm of sexual temptation. You know, sexual enticement, it's not ever going to go away. There will always be that natural God-created sexual urge that our bodies were designed to delight in. But it's on us to exhibit patience, restraint, long-suffering, delayed gratification, even if that gift is never fully realized for us. We're cautioned in so many scriptures to be content with where God has us and to display the purity in our language, in our jokes, on our screens, on our devices, in whatever we choose to talk about. Proverbs 6, verse 7 and 8, it says, Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run away from evil. Your body will glow with health, and your very bones will vibrate with life. In a recent article by Christianity Today, the author, Ed Stetzer, he noted the following, and I quote, he said, parents growing up today are fighting to keep their children pure. Spouses are fighting to keep their marriages intact. And many who are enslaved and trapped in adult entertainment industry, they have been figuratively and literally stripped, not only of their clothes, but of the very value as people made in the image of God. You know, people, if that doesn't concern us, what will? The symptoms of sex gone wrong, they're heartbreaking. Abortion, HIV, rape, the objectification of individuals through pornography, exploitation crowded around nightclub poles, survivors of trafficking whose bodies are racked with diseases because of the enslavement 
and the power of other human beings. You know, before we throw open the floodgates and welcome in a lost world, we have to make sure that we've cleaned house ourselves. Have we let the smokescreen of pornography dim our voltage output? Have we deluded ourselves into thinking that that click on a computer, it doesn't give and it doesn't get an STD, so who does it hurt? Is digital contraception truly the relational answer of deciding that we just don't want to practice relational restraint? Have we stopped to consider that more than anyone ever in modern history, this generation has consumed more porn, and yet currently there are more global trafficked victims than ever in our history? You know, one entity put it this way. They said, fighting human trafficking and then watching porn, it's like protesting a politician and then making a donation to his campaign. The writer of Proverbs, it just gives us such a better wisdom than what the world would in regard to sexuality. You know, it says that sexuality will last until we're old. And it doesn't need airbrushing or Photoshop. And it leaves such a beautiful legacy. Proverbs 5, 18 through 20 says, Enjoy the wife that you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore or dalliance with a promiscuous stranger? You know, I wonder if today that Proverbs author would have tried to spell it out just a little bit more clearly for us. Maybe he would have said, Would you click on a 2D online stranger rather than loving the 3D love of your life? A few years ago, some of my newer college team members, um, they were working on an ad campaign for STD Awareness Month, and they came up with a great one, koozies with a zipper that said, flies spread disease, keep it zipped. (laughs) Now, I thought, you know, Shane was looking for a one sentence sermon explanation, maybe that would be a good sermon title. You know, when was the last time, other than today and last week, that you've really ever heard a sermon on sex in our churches, in our youth groups? You know, if we just understood that what he says in scriptures aligns so clearly with what the CDC would say, you don't do it, you don't get it. We have to be in the world but not of the world. We have to talk about sex. We can't pretend that it doesn't exist. We have to creatively engage the world to understand that God's wisdom really does result in best outcomes. We can't shy away from explaining those deadly consequences when sex comes dressed to kill. You know, I recently sat in an exam room across from a 20-year-old young man. It was the kind of day in my world that you don't want to show up for work. He'd come in for a routine STD check, and one of the results had come back positive. He was positive for HIV. His one and only nighttime hookup with just one too many alcoholic drinks had given him a meetup with a gal who was dressed for delight and dressed to kill, a toxic hookup that has now left him 
with a lifetime challenge of fighting for his health. But you know what? Our God has not abandoned this young man. In fact, it's quite the opposite. For the first time ever, he's beginning to look up. And he's beginning to see the face of God through the compassion of a nurse. You know, at times in my dreams, I will see the eyes, the haunting look of literally tens of tens of those domestic trafficked individuals that our team serves, or those individuals that have come into our clinic, thousands that have been betrayed by trusted alliances that turned out to bite them. But I think that the one that haunts me the most is the young woman that was wooed into a sexual relationship by her math teacher and then was a victim of sextortion when he threatened to post images of her on social media so that her prominent family would also experience the shame. She had to leave that area. And this particular trafficker not only sold her over and over and over, he also allowed her to be tortured for pay. Her body was used as an ashtray during gang rapes. On a Monday, he zipped her in to yet another facility for yet another abortion, one of many. She was given 24 hours to stop the bleeding and then to get back out there and start turning her quota of 10 tricks a day. But that next day, when she stepped onto our medical mobile unit, when law enforcement had pulled her out of the hotel and brought her to us, she knew that God had not forgotten her. He had heard her cry, and he was there for her. Just a little over a year, I sat with seven female immigrants who had been rescued out of trafficking right here in our very own community. In fact, just down the road, their bodies were trembling with fear and they had so many questions. Would they be thrown in jail? Would America parade their pictures on TV? Would they be deported? You know, they came to America chasing a dream to send back enough money for the education of their children. Their translator that came to help us was a recent grad here of Ozark. And one by one, he gently answered their questions. You know, sexual demand on this side of the ocean had now put them in jeopardy of deportation. When they were assured that they would not be thrown in jail and that they were being released to mercifully come with us to safety, one of them stopped And she spoke to our team that was sitting around them. She said, I met your Jesus once in a house church in my country somewhere, but I lost him. We are all Buddhists, but today your God helped us. You know, I literally spend every day of my life dealing with people who have had the consequences of sex outside of God's design. And what looks attractive in the moment, it comes back through our clinic doors as devastation in real time. It may have started as one bad choice, but sexual sin, it sinks us fast. You know, my look you straight in the eye plea today is to be brave enough to claim sex or reclaim sex as the gift that it is. Model it in your own walk and your own life. But secondly, as our leaders 
of tomorrow. As you're going back into your churches, going across our nation, even around our world, choose to teach the importance of complete followership to our King. You know, just a few days ago, one of those seven Chinese women, they used their hard-earned cash to come back here to this community to say to the brothers and sisters of Joplin, thank you. Thank you on behalf of the other six women that you were there to actually for the first time ever, for some of them seven, eight, nine, ten years, welcome us into an American home to love us, to give us that airline flight to take us to safety. Thank you for giving us the Chinese Bible. And thank you for being on that WeChat every week to let us know that you still care. As she got on the plane um, just about a Friday and a half ago, she said these words to me. She said, thank you for showing us that the people of Jesus care. To us, you are America's love. In the book, Counterculture, we read, what if the main issue in our culture today is not poverty or sex trafficking, homosexuality, or abortion? What if the main issue, what if it's God? And what might happen if we made him our focus instead? And then he goes on to say, we may find that the same heart of God that moves us to war against sex trafficking also moves us to war against sexual immorality.